exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Let's pray. Father, at this very moment, We have so much on our plate uh, handed to us um, right here in this culture, in this society, um, to give us license to worry. It's frightening to think that we could be on the brink of nuclear war. It's depressing to think that, that we have aborted millions of babies. And on and on the list could go. And yet your word never changes. That you just want us to humble ourselves before you. And throw all of our concerns and our worries and our anxieties onto you. Because you care for us. I pray, Father, that you would help me as we walk through these verses um, to remember. (laughs) Um, Just thinking through, uh, singing, there is a fountain and and being reminded of William Cooper, uh, the English poet in the 1700s who wrote that hymn and yet went through deep, dark phases of depression. Your your word meets us where we are. And that that you will hold us fast. We can never keep our grip. But your grip, it it never loosens on our lives. So I pray, Father, that, that we would hear you today. Forget me. We want to hear from you. We want you to be glorified in this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, so verse 5 begins with likewise. So Paul gives us, uh, he uses this word, so he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So um, this word, likewise, acts as a bridge. It's a bridge for us. It's a bridge from the first four verses into five through seven and following. So um, it's simple. As elders are subject to the chief shepherd, so church members are subject to the elders. That's what that word likewise 
is there for. Now, this doesn't mean that pastors play a mediatorial role. I am not your Jesus substitute. Okay, your elders are not Jesus substitutes. We're, we cannot mediate for you. You're going to hear me say this a couple of times today. Not inequality, just different roles. Does that make sense? Not inequality, not one being greater than the other. Remember, as we talked about last week, um, the definition in First Timothy uh, chapter 4 of a good pastor. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So a pastor is worth his salt when he simply instructs us in the good doctrine of Christ. Not lording over people, just presenting the truth. So, I want us, as we consider this, uh, to keep perspective, an accurate perspective on this. What Peter is telling us to do is to be submissive to church leadership. So, um, that's hard. That kind of grates against our our American mindset. Um, And yet, consider... Just putting this in perspective here, submitting to an elder who is trying to care for your soul is easier than submitting to an unbelieving husband. Is that a fair statement? What's easier? A pastor who is trying to give you good theological pasture or an unbelieving husband who hates the fact that you go to church? Because... Peter's already covered that ground in chapter 3, hasn't he? Wives to husbands. And in fact, this is the, this is the, 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 this is the nugget. As I was digging through this, uh, this text in the last couple of weeks, this is the nugget that, this, the gold emerged. Submission, which is, by the way, a major theme in Paul, in Peter's letter here. Submission, Submission displays Christ. Submission displays Christ. It puts Christ on display. Consider this. Chapter 2, we're supposed to be submissive to the government. Also in chapter 2, submission to masters. We're going to come back to that text. Chapter 3, as I already mentioned, submission to husbands. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. In this section on masters and slaves and servants, look at verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example So that you might follow in his steps. So submission to government, submission to bosses, submission to husbands, submission to suffering. And that this suffering, according to Peter, puts Christ on display. In fact, if you guys remember when when uh, when Rod first when we first got into first Peter, 
he used the word missional mindset. You guys remember that? If you don't, he did. Okay, he, he talked about being missional. That, and so, so that, this is going to sound crazy. It really does. Submission displays Christ. That's a missional mindset. So for me, when I go to work, I may think my boss is nuts. But if he's not asking me to sin, by doing what he says as a believer, I'm displaying Jesus. And in fact, this is so potent. Flip over to the next chapter, chapter 3. Let me read this to you. Likewise, uh, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Submission displays Christ. Ladies, just remember the WWW. One without God. All right. So (laughs) sorry. All right. So likewise, you who are so back to chapter five again, verse five. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So in this case, Peter singles out young people. Why? I know this is going to come as a shock, but submission isn't popular among young people. I know. Glad you're all sitting down to hear that amazing truth, right? We're not the first generation to deal with uh, the next generation who's bucking authority. That's been around for a while. Cain, as an example, okay? Uh, I don't think that Peter's referring necessarily to physical age, because I, I think uh, uh, maybe some of you are like, well, I'm older than Rod and Jason, so <laughs> I can do what I want. I don't, I don't think that's what he means, actually. I think he's referring to spiritual age. And in fact, I would guess since this is Peter talking, uh, we could back Peter up. Uh, a couple of decades from this writing, and Peter was probably thinking about himself in in the three years that he spent with Christ. Not always very flattering for Peter, was it? The things that are recorded for him of him. So, so he he he's he's bridging these ideas. We submit to the eldership, and now um, or the well elders submit to the. Chief Shepherd, and um, we as people in the congregation submit to the leadership of the church. So, why is this important? Notice the next part of verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you. So just in case you checked out when you heard young people, he brings us all back in, right? Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So here he is uh, referencing Proverbs 3, verse 34. Um, this, this, is, this is the part that really makes me want to sit down and not teach it and just listen to it being taught. Okay? Um,
everybody here has a um, a sin tendency in your life. Is that one thing that you struggle with, and maybe you'll struggle with your entire life is so hard to get away from. Anxiety is mine. It just is. Uh, humility is mine. Um, I am a proud person. And I, I want what we're studying here to affect me. I don't want to just explain it. I want what we're talking about to affect my life. And for me, when he uses the word humility, it's like, you know what? We need to define this. We need to know what this is. What does he mean by humility? What does he mean in the next verse when he says, humble yourselves? What does this mean? So let's, let's define it. Okay? Go with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2. Paul's going to help us out. Paul gives us... Um, just about a textbook definition of humility. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Philippians 2, verse 3. So do nothing from rivalry or conceit. So, so by first, he tells us what humility isn't. Rivalry? Anybody got a good definition of rivalry? Huh? Cardinals versus Cubs. Okay, that's kind of a broader definition than what I was kind of looking for. But the, but the idea is still there, all right? So the idea is, I'm going to do better than you. That's rivalry, right? Isn't that where rivalries come from? This is the mindset of, I'm going to do better than this other person. Or my team's going to do better than that team. What's conceit? Maybe I shouldn't even ask. Exactly. All right. So in one in one sense, it's I'm going to do I'm going to beat you. And another sense is I won. That's not humility. OK, so do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. So humility is actually believing that every single person in this room is more important than yourself. Not just saying it because you have to, because the Bible says, though, you actually believe that everyone else is more important, more significant than you are. That's humility. He goes on, verse 4, let each of you not... Look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So you've got your life, you're living it. Well, guess what? Humility says, because you're more significant, I want to help take care of you as well. And that's all very practical. In fact, he, he, he now, then he himself bridges into another idea here. Notice verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Not just a mind you ought to have, it's the mind you have already if you're in Christ. 
Again, Rod pointed this out. To, to submit to suffering, to be obedient in the midst of the difficulties, we have to have the mind of Christ. And Paul is saying we have the mind of Christ. And then just the icing on the cake of this point, notice verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, in the form of, you guys realize that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Though in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What is that? Starts with an H, ends with humility. (laughs) That's humility. Again, equal, but different. Is is Jesus lesser than the Father? Mm -mm, No way. No, absolutely not. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are all part of one Godhead. Three parts, three persons, one God. Mutually submissive to one another. So he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming Obedient. Let that word sink in for just a second. He became obedient, which means that he was he was following, he was he was submitting himself to the plan of the Father. So, so becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's not just that he was going to give up his life. He was going to give up his life in one of the worst ways to die. What are the results? Verse 9, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So God takes this humbled servant of his, though in the form of God, exalts him so that no matter where you are, whether on, under, what were these? In heaven, so above, on, and below the earth, right? Every tongue, someday, will confess that Jesus is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. This is humility. Jesus shows us what it means to count others as more significant than himself. And that doesn't mean us at the apex of salvation. It's God at the apex of salvation. It's the Father. It's not about us. So, that's humility. Oh, I'll give you another one. Luke 15. Luke 15. You guys are familiar with the story of the parable of the prodigal son. And the point that I'm going to make is not the overarching point, but it is certainly something you can't miss here in this parable. So, 
Luke 15, verse 11. And he, that is Jesus, said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, by the way, it's not always wrong to talk to yourself. It's right here in the Bible. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise And go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Man, that's humility. Humility is getting downwind from yourself and realizing you really do stink. I'm not all I really think I am. And if you're if you're being honest with yourselves, this is probably a struggle everybody here has. Everybody. I thought about talking about how we all think we could be a better president of the United States, but that wouldn't be appropriate right now. That's <laughs> thank you. Well, yes, we all came from dirt. That keeps just remember that as you go through the week right i'm dirt it's good so uh that's humility for us defined considering others to be more significant than ourselves and realizing that we're not all that we're cracked up to be so back to the second half of verse five of first peter five Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So we've defined humility, and now recognize that humility is the identifying uniform of the Christian. I love this concept. So, so uh, humility is our uniform. And Tozer, giving this illustration, talks about being lost in a big city somewhere, and if you're not sure where you are, what do you look for? You just look for a policeman. And you're going to know who they are based on how they're dressed. That uniform gives them away. Our uniform as Christians, it almost seems strange to say this, our uniform as Christians is humility. Can we say that? As American Christians, is that is that, when you walk into a church, is that the mark you see amongst the people that claim to follow Christ? Wow, these people are really humble. They really care about other people more than themselves. 
Would it be said in our workplaces that, that you know that guy is a Christian by the way that he treats other people? Another real example of this. In fact, probably a more accurate one. This word in the Greek, clothe yourselves, is, carries the same concept of, as girding up your loins. And, and, and the example, probably the example that Peter had in mind, was Christ in John 13. He took off that outer garment and he girded himself with, um, this word is like an apron, like a slave's apron. He goes and washes. Ugh. No, they didn't have socks and shoes. Or what, concrete sidewalks. And they didn't have cars to drive in. Their means of transportation was on dirty roads in sandals, walking. And it was hot. Put all that together. And that's what Jesus faced 24 times in that little window. 24 times. Washed 12 disciples' feet. That's gross. By the way, that's the Lord of glory. If, if you feel no sense of conviction or urgency to serve one another in the body of Christ, you have to ask, do I know this Christ? Is this the Christ that I say is living in me? Are we uniformed like Christ is? Not only that, notice, um, let me read this verse again. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And I'm, I struggled with this point, but I want us to also see here that humility recognizes the greatness of God. God opposes your greatness. And in fact, God's greatness is greater than your greatness, and he doesn't share his greatness with anybody. In fact, we were at, uh, I was walking through Walmart the other day. Um, that's always a trip. Um, they're walking by the, the like girls clothing section. There was a hanging high. Um, it's proverbial. Hanging high was a shirt that said. Um, uh, Embrace your greatness. Why would you ever dress your child in that? Now, on a lighter note, we were in Wyoming a couple of years ago and I took this picture of Tabby. OK. And, and so she's in the foreground, and we have the Bighorn Mountains in the background. Beautiful, beautiful. And she has this shirt that says, I know, I know, I'm awesome. Okay. <laughs> the irony, the irony. Of course, that's sarcasm, and it's a joke, but embracing your own greatness is crossing the line, at least in my mind. Anyway, maybe it's not. But the irony of, I know, I know, I'm awesome, when you're looking at this a breathtaking picture of God's creation. This is his creation. It's not even him personally. I mean, can you imagine God in the background and us having that stamped on our shirts? Man, humility recognizes the greatness of God. 
And uh, I don't want us to, to necessarily idolize uh, the heroes of the Bible. Because this is something that the heroes of the Scripture struggled with all the time. Moses, speak to the rock. What did he do? Struck it. Didn't get to go to the promised land, actually, as a result of that. Um, David census. How many fighting men do I have? <laughs> yeah. How many thousands died because of his sin? Woe is me, Lord. I'm the only one left, said Elijah. Are you kidding? Well, God didn't say, are you kidding? But... The, I've reserved 7,000 people who have not bent the, the knee to Baal. You're not the only one. Peter. <laughs> Lord forbid that that would ever happen to you. <laughs> Can you imagine for, for thousands of years, people know you as the guy who Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. It's not wise to rebuke the Savior. Martha versus Mary. Mary chose the better thing. Martha was so busy, so wrapped up in her own world. God opposes. God opposes people who think they're great, according to the scripture. So what do we do in light of this? Notice verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves. That makes more sense now, doesn't it? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So humility not only recognizes the greatness of God, but is submissive to the greatness of God. So now we're bridging these concepts. We're bridging humility with something that Peter's already laid out in detail. Humility and submission. So they go hand in hand. I cannot, we as believers, cannot properly submit in the areas where God has told us to be submissive if we don't approach that calling with humility. Because for me to submit where God tells me to submit, I have to trust his wisdom. Have to trust his wisdom. And then we get verse 7 casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Well, let's, if humility and submission go hand in hand, let's bridge two other things. Anxiety and pride are inseparable. Because both are rooted in an attempt to control. Humbling yourself under God's mighty hand is also relinquishing control. So, he cares, therefore, I cast. If God really cares, then the result must be that I cast. And by cast, this is not rod and reel casting. This is not, I'm going to throw that out there 
and then I'm going to pull it back in. That is not the idea here with cast, okay? So, we um, are building a pole barn. Well, it's supposed to be a pole shed, actually. It's supposed to be a shed. Small shed, you know, like shed. And I made the mistake of setting the posts wrong, and now we have, like, a machine shop. <laughs> yeah. So, working on the roof of this um, last weekend, and um, my battery dies in my drill. The worst time. So, was it you that I... One, okay, I, I can't remember which one. So I, 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 I drop the dead battery, and I, I, I have one of my girls bring me uh, a new battery for this drill. And in the process, what they do, when they get to uh, near me, they're on the ground, I'm on the roof, they take the new battery, and they... Oh, it went smoothly. There was no problems. But... They didn't get it back, did they? When I caught it, it was mine. It became my responsibility. I'm the one that plugged it in. I did something with it. When they tossed it, they relinquished it to me. That's the idea. You toss it up, you don't take it back. And you don't have to. You don't have to because he cares. couple of thoughts of application as we close this morning. Anxiety needs an alternative. And it is found in prioritizing the kingdom of God. And guys, we are people who are... Um, th- this is... I, everything that we have read is precise. It's right on. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. But God has put in us a drive. We are driven... In other words, we don't do well with voids in our lives. They need to be filled with something. And God gives us an alternative to fill that lack of anxiety up with. So um, if you would, go with me to Matthew 6. Matthew 6. Verse 25. Matthew 6, verse 25. This is Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Uh, I had um, uh, several years ago, I corresponded with a lady who was a professing believer, um, and she had a a website on on, uh, clinical anxiety. And she herself uh, said that she was clinically anxious. And so I started, I, this was before I had any, any discernment or discretion. Okay, some things, some conversations just don't need to happen. So I emailed her. I'm like, hey, what about Matthew 6? What do you do with that? Her response was, well, the, he is only talking about just everyday things that we might be anxious about, but not the kind of anxiety that I have. Okay, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
are you not of more value than they? Stop to think about that. This is an everyday thing to, 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 uh, to eat, right? Y'all, how many birds are there in the world? I should have Googled this. Not that Google would know. How many birds? I mean, it's just a wild guess. What? Trillions? Trillions? Zillions? Are you serious? Who says Did you say Did he say zillions? What you mean is a lot, right? Okay. Let's go with, uh, I don't know. Well, how many? There's what? What? Six, seven billion people in the world? So, yeah, by far there's more birds. So let's say, um, let's say 100 billion. 100 billion birds in the world. That may be. Regardless, if we put a B in front of the alien, it still becomes a lot, doesn't it? All right, so 100 billion birds in the world. Let's just say, at this moment, there are 90 billion pulling words out of the ground. Worms out of the ground. And God is personally overseeing the worm eating of every bird in the world right now. And he can't handle my bigger problem. Verse 27, by which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life? And, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, another Google question here. How many flowers are there in the world? More than birds. It don't matter. It's a big, it's a big number. I, I mean, there, well, there's probably what three or four hundred right there in that little eight by eight, ten by ten plot. And God is personally dressing every single flower that grows, and He can't handle my problems. Oh, by the way, he's not just dressing all those flowers. He's also feeding the birds at the same time. And they're of no value compared to us. I think he's got it. Verse 32. I'm sorry, verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious. Saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, and by Gentiles, it doesn't mean just non-Jews. In this case, people that don't know the one true God. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He already has our needs met. He knows what we need. He cares for us. So there's the void. You don't have to worry anymore. Let's fill it up. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Stop worrying. You don't have to.
Edmund Clowney in his commentary says, and this is this this really this got me. When we cast our cares on the Lord, we often find they were the concerns of our pride, not the cares of his kingdom. Let me say this again. This, this is real for me. You guys know that Milo just turned the lights off. Okay. Back in 2018, I, I had the... Couldn't walk. I was at Mayo Clinic, not able to think. What was happening? All of that. I've got a list of all the major life stressors that are happening within a short period of a few months. This is for me. This is for me. This is my problem. I worry. And you know what? I need to hear that anxiety and pride are inseparable because both are rooted in an attempt to control. Because when, you, when, when you're a, a proud person and not a humble person, you're also a person that is trying to control everything. And when, all, when things like that fall apart, you fall apart. What's the issue? When we cast our cares on the Lord, I think it gives us perspective, doesn't it? We often find that they, those, those cares and those anxieties were just the concerns of our pride. And if we are warriors and we're anxious, this is what hurts. It means we're not seeking the kingdom of God. Because you can't be anxious and you can't be worrying and you can't try to, can't be trying to control everything and be faithfully seeking the kingdom of God. That's for us believers. We need to hear this. Lastly, and not least for sure, the need for humility has eternal consequences. I'm convinced, this is one of my favorite parables that Jesus ever gave, and I'm, I, I feel like it comes up every time I preach. Um, but that's okay. It's still scriptures. So we're going to look at it again. Luke 18, Luke 18, verse 9. Luke 18, verse 9. He, Jesus again, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I get tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. And this is where Peter got it. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You, you cannot bring... This is going to sound really weird and theological. I'm going to say it anyway. You can't bring anything to God that he finds acceptable except humility. We are told that that man... 
walked away from the temple justified. Why? Because he got downwind from himself. And he realized he wasn't, he wasn't like the other guy. The other guy had his, all his ducks in a row. Everything was perfect. He's, he's a tither. He has, his life was all different and distinct from, from all those bad people. He was all about himself. And the man who walks away justified says, God and his greatness are greater than me. I need help. I've messed up. If you're here today, you don't know Christ. We don't come to him until the law exposes that we're in trouble. We've broken his law. We are not people that have it all together. We are people in desperate need. So come to Christ by faith today. Let's pray. David says, I will extol you, my God and King And bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. In that same psalm, David says, the Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you. You give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. God, this is, I pray, where we're at, that we as a people recognize that you really are as great as you claim to be and that we can actually humble ourselves before you because not 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 just because you're great because you are but in in your greatness you look at us failing falling pathetic creatures and you say, I, I'm going to feed you. I am feeding you. I'm clothing you. I'm taking care of you. So, God, I pray that if we're here this morning, I, I don't know. I don't know where all of us are in, in our conditions before you, where our hearts are before you. But, God, may this be a time of just pouring out our our troubles and our anxieties to you and not reeling them back in but just releasing them to you, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.